Jesus, you are the author of joy, and so as we look at your scriptures, would you please be our vision? Would you please lead us and put joy and courage into us through the power of your word? We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I saw a bumper sticker a couple of days ago that said, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving isn't for you. (laughs) That was kind of a unique perspective, kind of a bummer. Well, you know how it should, it should go. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But do you ever have a hard time doing that? I want to start with a question. Where are you having a hard time right now persevering in something that maybe you'd like to quit, but you can't quit, or it's too important to quit? Maybe it's your job, and you feel a little bit discouraged, and you don't know if you can keep going, but you don't have a lot of options. Maybe it's a marriage that's hard. Maybe it's raising your kids children. Can't quit that. Maybe it's some kind of volunteer work you're doing that's important, but it's hard to persevere. Where are you having a hard time persevering? A man I know of named Tom was a speaker at, the co- at a conference, and it was a very, very boring conference, but he was the very last one scheduled to speak. And at one point, a man sitting next to him leaned over and said, man, this is so boring. Are you going to stay till the bitter end? <laughs> Tom pointed to his name on the program and said, I am the bitter end. Where are you having a hard time persevering to the bitter end? Here's why this is important. Perseverance is important, and here's why. Anything worth doing requires perseverance. Anything significant, anything important will require perseverance at some point. Raising children, marriage, helping others, making a difference in God's world will require perseverance. And the story that we're going to look at today tells us all about how we can persevere and that when we do, we change lives. We change the world. And it gives us joy. Now, if you've been coming here since September, as you know, we are persevering through the Bible this year. And today's sermon is the last one from the Old Testament. So we move on to the New Testament next week. And before I go on to talk about perseverance, let me just take a quick minute to digress and very briefly review what we've covered. Take a look at this table of contents from the Old Testament. I want to show you how it's organized because there's actually a reason for the way it's organized. The first section is Genesis through Esther, and that's the history books of Israel. And we spent most of our time since the fall talking about Israel's history. Second section is known as the writings, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The third section is the prophets, and we looked at them too. And the prophets were people who went to the people of Israel and to the kings and said, stop messing up, start living God's way, and if you do, you'll have more joy and your life will be more fulfilling. But as we've discussed these last couple weeks, the people didn't listen, and their culture became so corrupt that eventually the Babylonian Empire wiped them out. And then took a lot of the Jews back to Babylon, where they were held in captivity for 70 years. It's called the exile. Well, at the end of those 70 years, at the end of the exile, the Babylonians were defeated by the Persian Empire. And the Persians released the Jews and let them all go back to their country to rebuild it. Very worthwhile project, right? Here was the problem. It required a lot of perseverance. Their country had been devastated. There was no infrastructure. Foreigners had invaded the land. There were no cultural institutions left after 70 years of exile. Rebuilding was going to take a lot of perseverance. 
And the man we read about today, Nehemiah, was one of their leaders. And he shows us how to persevere through even the hardest things. And that when we do, we change lives and we have joy. So let me go back to that question. Where are you having a hard time persevering? Because Nehemiah is a very practical man. And I am going to list a bunch of practical points about how to persevere. And you just grab your favorite point as it flies by. Apply it to your life. A little bit of background on Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer to the Persian king. Now here's what the cupbearer's job was. Cupbearer tasted the wine before the king drank it to see if it was poisoned. Cool job, huh? <laughs> you never had to ask the cupbearer, how was your day? If he was alive, it was a good day. <laughs> and Nehemiah's heart is broken when he finds out about what's going on in Jerusalem. And so he asks the king for his permission to go back home so that he can oversee the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And the king says yes, and even pays for, to have the wall rebuilt. But as soon as Nehemiah gets there, he faces obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that requires perseverance. And the first thing he teaches us about how to persevere is this, that we need to pray passionately. The first thing Nehemiah does is he fasts and he prays for months. And not just kind of wimpy, help me little sort of prayers, but real hearty prayers, you know, pouring out his heart to God. He prays passionately, and as he does that, it gives him strength. A friend of mine was having a horrible time in his career. His boss was on his case. He was feeling like a total failure in his job. On top of that, he was single and going through a really difficult breakup with his girlfriend. And he's kind of a cerebral type of a guy, you know, would never, would say God, not the kind of guy who would say that God ever spoke to him very intellectual. And one day he was praying about all this stuff, and then suddenly, out of the blue, he got the song, Jesus Loves Me, stuck in his head. And he was kind of irritated that an intellectual man like him would get this simple Sunday school song stuck in his head. But then he started to laugh, because he realized that was God's sense of humor, kind of just gently poking a little bit of fun at him, loosening him up, and he suddenly felt like God was with him, and that made him feel powerful. To persevere, pray passionately. Second way to persevere, acknowledge the difficulties that are in our way. First thing Nehemiah does when he gets to Jerusalem is he rides around the wall to see how broken down it is to get a sense of just how awful the situation is. Now, you might think, wait, wait a minute, this is a sermon on breaking free of discouragement and how to persevere? How, how does surveying how bad my situation is help me do that? Well, here's how. If we pretend that things are better than they actually are, they're never going to get better because we will never put our hands to the plow and fix them. And in our culture, we do a lot of reality avoidance, don't we? Through television, entertainment, addictions, just plain old wishful thinking. I heard a woman tell me a story about going into a dressing room in a clothing store, and in this dressing room, the sign on the mirror said, Objects in mirror appear larger than they actually are. <laughs> in a clothing store, that's wishful thinking, right? Well, that doesn't help in life. Because we can't make things better unless we know what we're actually up against. So ironically, hope begins when we acknowledge how bad things are. Hope starts when we stop pretending the marriage is working when it isn't. Or that we aren't addicted when we are. Or that, no, really, I'm doing just fine as a parent. Hope starts when we admit that we've got a problem so that we can start to fix it. Acknowledge the difficulties, but, but don't stay there. 
acknowledge them, and then move on to the third thing. And that is to focus on a vision for the future. And this is what keeps Nehemiah going through the hard times. Because you see, his real concern is not just repairing the wall in Jerusalem. His real concern is to repair a culture. Because God's whole plan of redeeming the world by forming a redemptive community to carry his message of love to everyone, that plan is at risk because that idea didn't exist anywhere except in Israel. So if Israel goes down, the plan goes down. And Nehemiah is fired up by a vision of reviving that community to go out and participate in God's rescue of this world. And that vision gives him energy to persevere even when it's hard because it's something that is worth doing. And anything worth doing, if we're going to make a difference at all, we're going to have to persevere. At one point as they're rebuilding the wall, the people get discouraged and they say, there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Well, what are they focused on? The future or the rubble? The rubble, right? Ever do that in your life? Look at all the rubble, the broken relationship, the job problem, whatever. You go, there's so much rubble in my life, I can't move anywhere. Right? Acknowledge the rubble, yes, but don't stay there. Don't focus on it. Focus on a vision for your future. That's what Nehemiah does. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your people, your sons and your daughters and your homes. He refocuses them on a vision for the future, and that gives them strength to persevere. Let me give you an example. The garage at my house serves a dual purpose. It stores our cars and our tools, and it also stores our children when they're throwing a fit. <laughs> Don't freak out. It's warm out there. It's safe. It's well insulated. You know, we can still hear them, but the insulation muffles their sounds, which is good for everybody, right? <laughs> now, my son is a frequent visitor of the garage. And it used to be that I would just get so frustrated, I'd say, just go to the garage, right? But then I started teaching in men's fraternity how to be a better husband and a father and figured I'd better walk my talk. So I started forming a vision of the future, of my son grown to honorable manhood, and I want to see him as a noble man, so I discipline him. But I've also got a vision of him coming home from college and actually wanting to be with me. Maybe even go to a baseball game together, not because I beg and plead and force him to or passively, aggressively manipulate him, but because he actually would want to go with his dad, right? And because I've got this vision of him as an honorable man and of us having a good relationship in the future, garage time is different now. Now I go out to the garage with him and we talk it out no matter how long it takes. Occasionally, I'm even patient as we do that. We also put a punching bag out there for him to hit when he's frustrated because we discovered it's better than him hitting his sisters. It works much better that way, right? In fact, I told him I was going to get him a punching bag, but it took me about a week, and he had a garage timeout during that week, and he said, Dad, you promised to get me a punching bag, and you didn't, and here I am mad with nothing to hit. Hate it when that happens, don't you? <laughs> now, I spend time with my son other than the garage, but you know what? I'm starting to like the garage time because it is some of the most meaningful times of bonding that I ever get with him. And it's improved my relationship with him a lot. Yeah, I still sometimes lose my temper and yell. But more and more, because I've got this vision of the future, of who he could be and who we could be, that vision of the future helps me persevere in the garage. And I'm just hoping that my wife doesn't start using the garage time on me when I get out of hand, but... Pray passionately, acknowledge the difficulties, focus on the future. The fourth thing that Nehemiah teaches us about perseverance 
is to form a helpful community to encourage you. Nehemiah puts all the workers on the wall into little family groups, people who know each other, can support each other, can encourage each other when it gets hard. When it's hard to persevere, get some folks around you to encourage you. That's why we keep urging you to get in a small group or serve in some way so that you can have that community. And go deep in that community. Let's start getting honest with each other. We don't have to pretend and posture like our world tells us to do. We can be honest. We're all people in need of Jesus here. So we can be honest, right? If things are hard, get beyond news, weather, and sports. And if someone says to you, well, you know, how you doing? Don't say fine if you're not doing fine, if you know this person well. Because I've told you in the past, you know what fine stands for, right? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> fine, right? It sort of fits, right? How you doing? Fine. Yeah, you look it, right? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. We're all fine in that definition of the world. We all got stuff. So let's get honest with our stuff and be an encouraging community to help one another persevere. Fifth thing, Nehemiah, I told you there's a lot of points. Just grab one you like. Fifth thing that Nehemiah teaches us about how to persevere is to rebuke the lies of the enemy. As they begin to work on the wall, the story goes on, and it says, when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, that is, the wall, they mocked and ridiculed us and said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Well, these guys are foreign officials who do not want to see the Jews succeed, so they start to ridicule them. And this is one of the devil's favorite tools, to discourage us, to keep us from persevering. The lie that says, you can't do it, it's too hard, you can't stop that habitual sin, you've been at it for years, don't even try. You can't fix that marriage, it's too far gone. Your career's never going to get better, don't even think about it. Now, sometimes other people say that to us, but more often it's the devil that just puts that thought in our head. And in those moments, we need to rebuke that lie. Nehemiah does not waste any time on the scoffers. He names it for what it is, a lie. One of the things that I've discovered is that when those thoughts go in my head, you can't do it, or this is too hard, or it's hopeless, if I just say, wait a minute, that's a lie, if I just name it as a lie, or someone else does, it loses its power. To persevere, we need to pray passionately, acknowledge the difficulties, focus on a vision for the future, form a helpful community, rebuke the lie of the enemy, and finally, celebrate. Celebrate. At the end of 52 days, the Israelites complete the wall, which is pretty fast, right? 52 days? I mean, how many times have you heard about a construction project that was completed before the deadline and under budget, right? And it was a government project, so real miracle. The people all gather, and the priest Ezra reads from the book of the law and comments on it for six hours. A six-hour sermon. Isn't that great? That's one of my favorite verses of the Bible, man. How long should a sermon be, biblically speaking, six hours to test your perseverance? Well, as Ezra preaches this six-hour sermon, the people start to cry, maybe because of the sermon. I don't know. But actually what the text says is, as he preached, they started to cry because they started to realize how sinful they were, how they'd ignored God and wrecked their lives because of it. And so they start to mourn for their sin. And as they are mourning over their sinfulness, what do you think Nehemiah says to them? Do you think he says, yeah, you ought to cry, you sinners? 
doesn't say that at all. He says the exact opposite. He says, do not mourn or weep. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He doesn't say, yeah, you ought to weep and cry over your sins because he knows they've been forgiven. He tells them to celebrate because here's a secret. Celebration helps us to persevere. Now, you may think, well, I don't have anything to celebrate. My life's too hard. That's probably not true because while things can be 99% awful, they are never 100% awful. And celebration reminds us of what's good in our lives, even if it's just the fact that God loves us. That's why some of the most joyous celebrations I've ever seen have been places like Rwanda. Poverty, genocide, and yet there's celebrations filled with singing and dancing and shouting and laughing because there's always at least one good thing in life to celebrate. And when we do, it lifts our spirits and gives us energy to persevere. That's why God commands us, commands us to celebrate because we have to be intentional. In the Bible, God commanded Israel to celebrate six feasts and only one fast. That's a six-to-one ratio. You know why? Because God likes a party. Celebration gives us energy because it reminds us of what is good. It builds community around us, all of which helps us persevere. So whether you want to or not, as your pastor, I order you to go have fun even if it makes you miserable. <laughs> Invite people over and have a feast. Declare a joy day. Do things on that day that connect you to God and give you joy. Only be with people who give you joy on that day. Say to everybody else, I can't be with you today. It's my joy day. Right? Celebrate. A friend of mine was a pastor, but for years he'd have panic attacks while he was preaching, panic attacks in the pulpit. He would start to sweat. He would get dizzy. He'd, his heart would race, and he was always worried that he was going to faint, and a couple of times he actually did. Well, he considered switching careers because this, this is a bummer for a pastor, right? <laughs> he considered switching careers, but he really felt that God had called him to be a pastor. But more than that, he had a vision of what church could be. That church did not have to be a place of judgment and condemnation, but it could be a place where anyone could come, no matter how dirty their uniform was from the game of life, and find acceptance and joy and become new people who leave their old ways behind. And that vision just fired him up and gave him energy because it was worth pursuing. But it required perseverance because every Sunday as he'd preach, he'd have a panic attack and worry that he was going to faint. He did have a sense of humor about it at least. He would always joke that it was helping attendance because people would come to see if he was going to pass out or not, right? Well, he prayed about this over and over again. He also had some good friends around him who encouraged him. I mean, his wife was awesome. She'd always say things like, you know what? If you faint this Sunday, just look at the bright side. You don't have to write a sermon for next Sunday. You can just pick it up where you fainted. Right? <laughs> he did some practical things like writing out his sermons word for word so that if he had a panic attack, he could just stand there and read it. And then every Friday night, he and his wife invited a bunch of people over from the church to play volleyball. And that weekly celebration kind of helped him relax for the weekend ahead. And the church grew. And not because people came to see if he was going to faint, but because the message he preached about how we do not have to be perfect in order for God to love us and to use us was being lived out in his weakness Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the pulpit. He was a living sermon illustration about how you don't have to have it all together to be loved by God. And people flock to that church to get just a little bit of that grace. 
And then eventually, after years, years, panic attacks finally went away. But his sense of God's grace never did. It permanently marked him. He prayed passionately, acknowledged the difficulties, had a vision for the future of how church could look, had a helpful community who helped him rebuke the lie that because of the panic attacks, he could not be a pastor, and he celebrated them with them, which gave him joy. And because he persevered, he made a huge difference. There are literally thousands of people whose lives are completely different because he persevered. So where do you need to persevere? So that you can do significant things, so that you can change somebody's life. And this week, which of these practical steps do you need to put into place? Prayer, acknowledge the difficulties, vision, rebuke the lies, community, celebration, whatever it is, will you put it into practice so that discouragement will have no power over you, so that you will persevere and you will make a difference in your life, in the lives of those close to you, and in the life of this world. And then, in the words of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Because, you see, here's the truth. With Jesus, we can persevere through anything. When we face a difficult situation at work, we may not feel like we can keep going. But when we call on Jesus, we can do all things through him, and the joy of the Lord will be our strength. When we face a marriage on the rocks, or a health crisis, or a financial problem, we may feel powerless, but when we call on Jesus, we are more than conquerors, and his joy will be our strength. When we're serving God in some way, and it's hard to persevere, but it's important, or when we're at our wit's end as a parent, or when we face habitual sin that we don't seem to be able to control, we may feel like quitting, but when we call on Jesus, we can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can ask or even imagine according to his power at work within us, and the joy of the Lord will be our strength. So when the devil tries to get you to quit or tells you you can't do this or you can't do that, you grab him by the collar and you tell him that because of Jesus, you can. And in that moment, the joy of the Lord, not the happiness of this world that comes and goes, but the joy of the Lord that lasts forever, the joy of the Lord that comes only from him, the joy of the Lord that can make us celebrate even in tough times, the beach ball joy of the Lord that cannot be held down, the undefeatable, irrefutable, irresistible, unstoppable, infectious joy of the Lord will be your strength and you will make a difference you will change lives you will accomplish great things by his power at work within you that is his promise jesus thank you for that promise so we bring those things that is hard to persevere in serving you in some way being a parent our jobs our relationships God asks that you would fill us with your infectious power and joy so that we can persevere and accomplish those things that you have laid out for us to accomplish. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.